Michael Perlet. I'm Asher Collins, and together we bring you Exercise Equals Life Podcast. Thank you for joining the Exercise Equals Life Podcast. Today we have on Liz Picas, who recently defended her dissertation and will be graduating with her doctorate in biomechanics and kinesiology, specifically with an emphasis on the physiology of exercise from the University of Nebraska at Omaha this May. Thank you for the introduction, Michael. I've been looking forward to this all week and excited for the conversation we get to have today. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. We are too. Thanks, Asher. So this is actually, Liz, like your, your time to, to shine. You know, I mean, you are a very gifted young clinician. Um, we, we spoke a little bit, I'll tell the folks listening before we went on the air, about your diverse background, um, including that being a gifted musician and how that integrates so much into the, I think, our capacity to communicate what we do to people who may not be outside of the actual professions that we deal with on, on, on a peer level. Um, but anyway, this whole, this whole forum exists for you. So whatever you would like to, to really pursue as a topic of conversation is what we're here for. Things that are important to you, things that you would like to continue to work on, things that resonate for you, um, almost in a sense, industry-wide stuff, whatever, whatever you're, you're going to do in the next phase since you are launching your career now, let's, let's talk about that. Absolutely. And that's, that's a really great, great way to start this. Um, I think, honestly, the most important thing that I've learned over my schooling, which I've been in college for, I think, 11 years now, this would be my 11th year in school. And I've learned that you just need to follow your passions. Yes. I started off as a music major on a music scholarship playing my clarinet. Couldn't be happier. I love music so much. But I realized that something was missing. I was passionate about sport ever since I was young. I did martial arts. I loved science. Never thought I'd pursue science. Hmm. But I, I took an opportunity to add exercise science into my degree program. And I was sitting in my exercise physiology class and I had no idea what was going on. I was far behind. <laughs> I, you know, I'm still absorbed in the music world and I jump into these science classes and I'm sitting there and I think I need to read this textbook. So that's what I did. I sat, I read that textbook cover to cover, not once, a couple times. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, this is, this is incredible. This is amazing. I was so interested in it. My anatomy class, physiology, everything. And that's what pursued me to continue pursuing that passion. So if you have a passion, my life, the last five, 10 years, don't ignore it. Keep yeah. going. You're not yeah. going to know unless you try. Like, I think that's, something that really speaks to me. And I want everyone to consider that because it was a, it was a big turn in my life. And, you know, I'm continuing to turn into, you know, my future career now, and I'll never be, I'll never turn down an opportunity that I'm interested in. Yeah, that that's also true. What rich textbook was that that you're so interested in? It was the, gosh, I don't, I can't even remember the, I don't remember the author because in undergrad, we never, we never cared about authors in undergrad, yeah. right? <laughs> but right, yeah, exactly. Um, the, the, Mc, the McArdle textbook, I want to say it was. I'm not sure, but McArdle it was. Yeah. Can I and, take you back to the larger yeah. theme, though? Because sure. I, I think you've touched on something massive. Um, 
I like to volunteer. I'm, I'm the senior guy in the room. I'm 60 going on 61. And this is my, I'm an occupational therapist by profession, and that is my fourth and final, likely, career. But it is the culmination of all the skills that I learned in the first three, which is telecommunications, development, and performing arts slash fitness. So, so I really, really, really resonate with what you said about a pivot. You know, I tell these students that I mentor, as long as you're moving forward, you're going somewhere. But I think the bigger point that you're making is that when you arrive at a crossroads, all of America in the world, hear me, you mustn't be afraid of the pivot. There's a reason, you know, if you go for it, you're, you're going for something. Yes, you were passionate about music, but then you inadvertently discovered this and you went in that direction, but you took all of the skills that made you a good musician with you, which is what aided you to become what you are now. I, I just think the bigger picture is that people mustn't box themselves in and, and need to follow their passions and what they're doing, even if you're not entirely sure of where it's going to land. And that doesn't end. You know, Michael and I are starting new things all the time, and I haven't got a clue where it's all going. I just know it's going somewhere, and I have faith in that. So I just wanted to chuck that in the conversational pit. Absolutely. <laughs> and, it, you know, nothing to this point has been linear for me. Nope. Nothing will, nothing will ever be linear. Asher, you said you've had four different professions now, four. and nothing was linear. But no, there's there's call, things, yeah. I call my right. career path. You know Woodstock from Peanuts? Yeah. If you, yep. if you would have All over the, found yep. my career path, that's what it looks like. <laughs> A flight of Woodstock. Right. And it's... It's the transfer of the skills. Yes. It's the skills that you've Absolutely. acquired from whatever it was that you were doing. Yes. That you need to carry forth. Yes. Because those skills are yours. Yes. You've learned those. You've worked on those. And you're going to provide something unique to whatever you do, Correct. whether you believe it or not. Correct. But yeah. you are you. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's exactly. all transferable. I agree with you. And I just would love if I could take that fear chip out of everybody. I mean... Can you even begin to imagine the world if everybody just went and did what they absolutely gut feeling knew they would be great at? I, I, I just uh, clearly get real passionate about that whole topic. I'm like, just do it. <laughs> right. And it's, it's being comfortable, being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Yes. It's cliche, well, but it's being able to take that one step into whatever it is you're not comfortable doing. And if it doesn't work for you, Take a different step. You don't have to keep going on that path. But if you do take, you know, one step here, one step here, and you're running in circles, you'll find something. Mm -hmm. You'll figure out what you're good at. It might take people longer, but it it, <laughs> you just got to keep pushing. You just keep pushing forward. You might not go forward all the time, but each step is important. Yeah. I mean, same here for myself, right? I never wanted to get into exercise science. I originally attended Montclair State, just learned a little bit more about the biceps curl. That's all I wanted. That's the truth. I never a master's degree, not even a doctorate now, you know, being accepted into the University of South Alabama. Congratulations but, on that, by the way. That's very exciting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm glad you got to learn exactly what you needed to know. He's so Yeah. But no, like, I never won any of it. So it's so cool to see that transformation occur in the past, I'll say, four very short years, but long years overall but prior to that right i mean my prior i guess career if you want to call it even that was working at jersey mike's so you know making sandwiches and even at the corporate level right so traveling around north jersey doing store reports evaluations which was fun but it wasn't 
necessarily who I was at the time. And I was still young, right? 20 years old. So oh. a lot mm-hmm. to learn. But school's been a great environment over the last four years to sharpen any sort of leadership skills and just develop my own interests a little bit more. So, right. Absolutely. And it following your career and what you want to do, like I would relate that back to like the research process too. Michael, you're involved in research, Asher. It's there's so many things that don't work Mm. when you're preparing a study and it's taking those steps that you need to take to figure out, okay, what's the best way to answer my question? Well, cool. The same thing is going to apply to your career. What's the best step you can take to get closer to your goal? Like it's all just part of that process. Touching on, on your research, um, sure. I, I, I absolutely. This is this is what got Michael and I started on this. Just to give a little t- short backstory, um, as an occupational mm-hmm. therapist, obviously I work real closely in outpatient and geriatric with physical therapists. So um, th- there's a beautiful relationship back and forth between the, those two professions, and then in really getting to understand what it is. Uh, People like Michael, who's exercise physiologist, bring to the table. I'm like, this is ridiculous. You absolutely should be standing shoulder to shoulder with us in a clinical environment, having input. You know, there, there's another component here that, that we don't have. And your research, I'm, I'm looking at, <clears throat> excuse me, focusing on exercise therapies for patients with cardiovascular and metabolic diseases, effects of antioxidant and dietary metric. All of that is exactly what's missing. That, that exercise component. My father was, was a cardiac patient. Um, obviously, I'm dealing with many different types of clinical conditions. What's the real um, day-to-day nuts and bolts, if you will, that you see, that you both see, as, as putting that exercise component, which is entirely missing, really it is, um, into broad inpatient, outpatient, clinical settings as part of the therapy to get people back into a functional state and hopefully to prevent recidivism of particularly, you know, cardiac patients can check out and check in and check out and check in. So can you can you just flush out for me and Michael, like really on a nuts and bolts level, how you see this mapping out in the future? Sure. Like being able to implement like effective exercise therapies into practice for these at-risk populations. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we as scientists, we understand the science. We know, you know, quite a bit about what's going on, the benefits, and we're able to talk about those. Mm-hmm. We're able to preach those. And it's not that people don't understand that. They understand, they get that this is going to help them. They get that it may slow the progression of their disease, prevent it altogether if they're at risk. But it's it really does come full circle. These folks, they're not comfortable. They're not comfortable taking that step. They're not comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like that's a really big factor in exercise and adherence. It might be it may be the best thing for them. But until they are able to take that step and be able to implement that, you know, outside of research work and into their daily lives, it needs to carry through. Right. It needs to continue in their life. So it's it's being able to implement exercises that are they're easy. People can handle doing them without being supervised. Mm-hmm. They're accessible. Cost is a big factor. The ability to take things with you and travel is a big factor. Um, 
and just having that overall self-efficacy and confidence in being able to continue that type of regimen. So it, anybody can take a pill. Anybody can, you know, pharmacotherapies absolutely have their time and place. We need them. We need more of them. But when we think about the time and effort that goes into taking that pill, placing emphasis on exercise and being able to say, hey, this may provide more return than what you're taking now. Like this is something that is critical to implement into your life. That's, that is probably one of the biggest challenges. Like we're finding all these great things, but until it's actually taken in at a population level, it's just difficult for us to be able to, to do, to have these people benefit from. Yeah, no, it, it, it's really a great thing what we're able to provide. I mean, you specifically working, yes, more doing the research, but then are you treating anyone like um, on a day-to-day -day basis? Or it's more so where you're looking to go into that. And th that's a good question. Yeah. yeah. And that kind of comes back to me following my passions. Like I've had the opportunity to work directly with these patients who have these diseases with the, the research that we've done with antioxidant intake, um, dietary nitrate intake. So other like essentially supplements or non-pharmacological therapies and working with them has been wonderful, but it's just being able to impact these individuals on a greater spectrum. Like, yes, you can work directly with patients, but how can you target the, the populations or the professions who are caring for these patients? How can you get the information to these care providers? Do physicians, PTs, OTs, do these folks who are crazy busy, do they have the time to sit down and look at all the latest research? Do they have time to do a full literature search? How can we get exactly, like how, how can we get this information to them about the latest findings, being able to rank the type of evidence for them to say, oh, this is the general summary. Okay, great. This is, you know, my target population. I'm going to look more into this. It's going to save them time and then they can understand, you know, the broader impact of what's going on. So being able to communicate something like that and it's that's probably a foreshadowing of the uh, job position I just accepted. So oh, um, I, I would love to. Yes, I, I'd love to talk about that at a later time as well. But um, yeah, for sure. Because Absolutely. Everything that you're saying is like religion to me. And I would just love to have access to a person like you. All the time, all the time, because you just touched on something. Who has time, you know? And we are all doing our best at what we do best. And but to, to have somebody like you just feeding evidence-based stuff that is absolutely knife-edge sharp, you know, um, almost like a, a clinical agony ad. <laughs> it's like Liz, I'm dry. What are you? <laughs> Here's a cup of coffee. Help me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got nothing. Try this and this and this and this. Right. I mean. And it's, it's just not, it's not just the nuances of reading. It's the nuances of searching. Yes. Like how, the, yes. how do you find these things? And it's just all parts of the process. And it's, again, it comes back to time, Asher. It's just yes. having the person to spend that time. I mean, beyond school, right? We lose the capacity to have access to any of these research databases which should be available for professionals in respective industries. I mean, yes, they're available for a large sum 
great purchase for larger corporations. But in school, we have access to that, which is phenomenal. Right. And it's, you know, science accessibility is a, a whole new can of worms to open. Absolutely. And yeah. it's something that I just live by is all information is useless unless you can communicate it to everyone and anyone. Oh, oh my God. So you can have access. I'm yeah. It's you can have, we have the internet, we have access to everything, yes. everything. And yet information is not being communicated. Right. Or well, and you know this is or, yeah. this is where the artist in you, because the artist in me, becomes so helpful because I can I have found and I bet you have as well the ability to somehow or other intuit what's the best vernacular to use with person A at any given moment to make sure the penny drops and I've made my point. You know, I don't want to dazzle mm -hmm. anybody with my clinical vernacular. I want to make sure you understand what it is I'm saying, and so that I am useful to you. And that it's not about me. The information that can pass through me lands on you in a way that's efficacious. Right. Um, and, and that's, it's, it's something that you don't realize until later in your schooling. Cause when you're, you know, a freshman, sophomore and undergraduate, and you're learning all these cool terms yeah. that mean nothing to, you know, your neighbor, right. it's, you want to use them because you feel like it puts you on top. It does not. It puts you further away from being able to communicate to the general population. You're teaching at the undergraduate level, correct? And yeah. trying to make that knowledge available to the undergrad students. Similarly, in my, my perspective, I, given the, I was given the opportunity to teach at Montclair State Quick turnaround. I graduated my bachelor degree August 31st, and you know the next day, September 1st, I was teaching a undergraduate course with maybe 24 hours notice. It wasn't much at all, but taking all that knowledge I gained in two years and then transferring it over to a four-year younger version of myself mm. is quite remarkable. And you have absolutely to put those terms in simplest form possible. Right, because you you're giving them that information. Oh, teaching experience, you know, it, it is just so much fun. And honestly, the, the, my favorite part about teaching, it, it comes back to that communication yet again. Yeah. Seeing that light bulb just go off mm -hmm. in an undergraduate brain. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes there's not a lot, a lot going on in their heads. And we know that. Yeah, they might not. They may or may not know that. Before. <laughs> right. We, we've all been there. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but it's when you give them that information that they need to know to pass the course, to meet the objectives, awesome. They're getting what they need. But once that light bulb goes off, they're hungry. Mm -hmm. They want to know more. They start asking questions. Are they good questions? Yes. They're always good questions because they want to know something. Mm. They might not know how to ask it. That's when a, you know, we might call it a bad question, which whatever, no bad question, but it's watching that snowball effect. Mm. And it's them understanding the real world application of whatever you're doing, yes. whether or not they're going to be teaching someone how to squat in their future profession, they can transfer those skills. How can you communicate something, completely break it down so that someone can understand the step-by-step -step process? doesn't have to be a squat. Maybe they're teaching them how to write an abstract for a research article. 
it's being able to transfer those skills that you learn in your class. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just great to watch them go through that process. And I think you have um, either just innately or deliberately or both, some combination of both, engendered what I feel, because I, I mentor students in a little two field works. Um, if you're tense, if I've made this somehow inadvertently scary, you're not going to be able to learn. You know, like day one with my students, all you see is locked jaws and tense bodies. I'm like, everybody just take a breath. Like, like you said, one, there's no stupid questions. Two, there's erasers at the end of everybody's pencils, including mine. You know, if you are tense, I can't teach you. So don't you find that unless you kind of like set a bar for a completely safe environment, which a lot of people yap about, but don't actually create, um, you're, you're, you're making a tough job tougher on both ends, both on the student end and on the educator end. Right. And it's, again, the, the eraser analogy. You want to write your plans in pencil and not pen. You got to move with these you know, students or mentees you're working with because they're not all the same. They're not all going to be robots and taking in you know, one version of your teaching style. And again, comes back to that transferable skill of communication. Yeah. How can you best communicate it? Yeah, you want to reach as much of an audience as you possibly can. Right. I get it. You have 20, 30 kids in your classroom. But if you're able to make those minor tweaks here and there where these students are able to pick up something they wouldn't have thought of before, you're doing the right thing. You are doing, you're reaching as many people as you can, not just through one mode of communication. Back to the recent exercise principle of individuality. <laughs> Absolutely. It's uh, across the many borders. Right. And it's, that's how you reach as many people as you can. So what, again, and if I sound ignorant, it's okay. I don't mind. I'm used to it. Um, <laughs> someone's got to take it. Um, again, alluding back to, you know, what I had said to Michael about, my God, I wish you guys were in, in the clinics with us. Um, a giant role in making sure that, that somebody like me has just a, a, a roaring flow of cutting edge information, like your, your capacity to be a resource on that level. But do, do, is there like a job description, if you will, for you on site in a clinical setting that you can tell the folks about? Because that's what I would love to see. I would love to see the two of you, like I said, shoulder to shoulder with me, looking at charts, looking at the same person in real time and having a, a confab about like what's best to do. Cause that's what I do with my PT bros and sisters. Like literally we we're both looking at the same person, the same problem set from our different perspectives. So how do you see you guys dovetailing in there in the way that in my brain, I, I couldn't wait to possibly see. Sure. Really good question. As far as a job description would be concerned for Michael and I being incorporated into a clinic mm -hmm. setting, I would call the position, Liz and Michael come to the clinic. I think that's what the job position, that's what it would be called because I have no idea what it would be called. Yeah. It, cause it would be being able to bring in, you know, the research aspect and the applied aspect and interpret clinical information. And how does that fit this person on an individual basis? Is this normal for them? Is this not normal for them? And how can we get to their 
normal, which may not necessarily be what's perceived as normal for other people. Again, individuality. Yes. Like what Michael said, the individualization of this. See, that's the thing that I'm always trying to do. Like, that we are sharing a brain. There is no normal, right? You know, especially if you're dealing with somebody who's living with a chronic condition and or biomechanical issues, but it's permanent. Let's just leave it at that for folks listening. Whatever it is they have is going to be with them forever. So how do you optimize their health and performance? That's that's the thing that gets me excited. Like, okay, this is where we are, and this is these are permanent issues, and these, these have some degree of, of flexibility in terms of, of there, there could and should be improvement. And like in my head, what I always envision as, as a perfect endpoint is that whatever you came into this with you, the patient or you, athlete or whatever, um, when this whole process is done, you are in the best possible place to go forward. And you've been educated as to how to maintain that. You might need a booster shot with one of us ever so often, so to speak, but like that, that to me would be the ultimate accomplishment that every single person that comes to you is getting the benefit of all of this. And we have literally done our jobs to optimize their health. Right. And it's figuring out the best way to help them take that step forward. Again, it's not linear. It will never be linear. That is not how progress works. But it's understanding those additional facets that will allow them to do that. And we don't know all of those. But if we put, you know, four or five of us together, we can probably at least get very close, if not hit it head on of what we need to do next. And it's it doesn't take one person. It takes a team. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Do you, do, do you see like this almost like as a spearhead of you guys entering into my sphere, if you will, or, or the clinical sphere, so to speak? Like, do you guys, that, that quote-unquote job description, do you guys exist? Because I really don't know. I've never run into you, and that's why anecdotally, I, if I sound ignorant, it's because I simply just, in my career, have never run into you guys. But I see the comprehensive utility of working with you, and it makes me crazy that I don't have access to you. Um, do, are there folks like you out there, and is this the spearhead of a new, uh, of a new profession, if you will, a new licensed profession, if you will? As far as us being in the clinical setting, the only thing coming to mind, and correct me, Michael, if you are aware of anything else, but it would be like your, I guess, your certified exercise physiologist who could be in the clinic setting, Mm -hmm. but I feel like they would almost be more on the clinical side Mm -hmm. and maybe not as much on the research and applied side. Exactly. Right. I agree with that. Gotcha. So I think, yeah, there's a, there's always gaps in the research. There's a gap in the, this uh, area in clinical care. So it's, yeah. 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 It's, it's almost like somebody who is a certified exercise physiologist can work partners with us in, in that capacity, have that relationship and come into a clinic. So as you said, Michael and Liz, but either one of us with somebody else. Right. Capacity. And it, yeah. it's, it's putting those forces together. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I'm going to keep, chewing on it like a dog on a bone, but there, I, I'm, I'm going to find some way to, to do this in my own professional life because it's just crazy that, that I'm not talking to folks like you on a daily basis. You know? Right. It's, it's, and 
you need that in clinical care and we need to apply it to clinical care. Otherwise, why are we doing what we're doing? Exactly. Because then we're wasting our time <laughs> if it can't transfer. Yeah. Right. And yeah, research is targeting a general population. I get it. Like that's how we have to do it. But it's being able to take that and narrow that scope down to each patient. Because you, as a clinician, care for patients. You don't care for populations. Exactly. No, I mean, I definitely, so with that offer, University of South Alabama, actually working under Dr. Josh Keller, who's from University of Nebraska, recent graduate from there a couple years back. Um, He has some interest in cognitive components of exercise and in the more clinical populations. And admittedly, myself, the last few months, developing that interest as well, um, working on a paper for one of my final classes in Montclair, uh, neuromotor uh, basis of movement, and the paper is blood flow restriction and the effects of co- effects on cognitive performance. So there's not much out there. So there's a couple literature reviews, maybe two or three previously done studies, but using that as a basis and maybe even working with Dr. Keller in the future on that over the next couple of years. So in the for clinical sure. population. Yeah. So for somebody who works in memory care in the geriatric population, those conversations will be invaluable. And the application yeah. of the research that you guys did, that's alluding back to what you were saying, Liz, like, what are you doing if it doesn't get out of there and have an application? And I, I, I'm going to do everything I can to push that conversation forward um, wherever I can about joining forces because there's the stuff that you do has such relevant application. I'm just trying to find the bridge to kind of like make it happen, make those conversations. And finding finding the bridge, I don't know if we can find it, but we can sure build it. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, something I don't think you Liz, that I completely concur. But in my head to have an interdisciplinary team sitting around having a weekly meeting about a caseload without you guys present is a less than optimized meeting. You know, I mean, this just, this just, we have got to make this happen. And I think you're right. I don't think it exists because I haven't run into it. And I can't be unique. Um, but we need to push it. This at every professional conference needs to be a conversation that started. <clears throat> Excuse me. Absolutely. Some sort of symposium or yeah. something that, you know, it's going to, it would attract so many people to come in because we would have, we would say, wow, this is so new. We didn't know it existed. Well, Guess what? It doesn't exist yet. That's why we're here. That's why we it. have to work together and figure yeah, that out. We should actually, sort of a sidebar, but we should actually, the three of us, start cooking on that and having that symposium. Because if we are going to build this, let's go ahead and build it. You know what I mean? Um, right. We need to start yesterday. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, I don't see any blowback or resistance from anybody who's good at what they do and committed to what they're doing. Like you said, people should be going, oh, hell, I had no idea. You know, um, but right. yeah, I think that that's like a separate thing, but we really ought to, ought to figure that out. Right. And come up with a really fancy job. Title. Exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> 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 so what's, what's immediately next for you, Liz? That's a really good question. So I, I just defended my dissertation about a month ago had a blast. Like I, I just love talking about science. Yeah. And when I realized that over the last few years where I like the communication aspect 
and bringing that reach of science to as many people as possible in an understandable mm -hmm. way. And that's why I chose to pursue what I'm pursuing. And I don't want to give too many details right now. Um, things are in the process of being finalized, of course. But um, I will be starting my new position in about a month and a half-ish. Okay. So I'm very excited for that. But I'm still doing research right now, working on a few projects, and doing something else that I really enjoy. And that is helping the other students in the lab get ready to take over on these projects, on some other research techniques, helping them with that and teaching them. Because mm -hmm. it, it's all coming back to preparing them for their next steps so that they can also pursue whatever path it is they may choose. Whether they choose to stay in the academic space, if they choose to take a path similar to what I'm taking, it's again, it's follow your passions, no matter what anyone else yes. says. Um, and, you know, I'm continuing with that. And I'll be going to a couple of conferences. I'll be in Long Beach next week for the American Physiological Society Summit. I'm very excited for that. And then I'll be attending the ACSM annual meeting in Denver at the end of May. So anybody listening, if you're going to be at these conferences, love to see you. Let's come talk. Let's say hi. Grab some coffee. Um, yeah, it'll be a great time getting to talk about research and Wish we could have had a symposium at one of these conferences. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Absolutely. Um, since, I mean, I, I missed your dissertation and for the audience as well, could you just debrief us a little bit on what the topic was and how it went overall? Oh, I'd be happy to. So mm -hmm. my dissertation focused on essentially three different projects. So it focuses on a population called peripheral arterial disease or PAD. So PAD refers more specifically to the buildup of fatty plaques in the arteries that are supplying the legs. So we're having blood, blood flow blocked to the lower extremities. So when these folks uh, have the initial stages of this disease, they might not even know it. They don't have any symptoms and that's a problem because once they have symptoms, they start walking and then they experience pain or cramping in their legs. And they're thinking, oh, my legs are tired. They might not even know that they have PAD then. So it's often perceived as something different. But the disease can continue to progress. And these patients can experience pain when they're just sitting down resting. Um, this can result in foot ulcers that don't heal, um, tissue death that can ultimately require amputation. But what's really important to consider is that there are very few therapies for peripheral artery mm -hmm. disease. There's not a lot of treatment options. So the purpose of my dissertation was to investigate first how the skeletal muscle microcirculation behaves in peripheral artery disease. Is the microcirculation properly supplying oxygen and nutrients to the muscle? How is the endothelial layer inside these micro blood vessels responding to stimuli? Are they, you know, similar to their otherwise healthy age-matched counterparts? And the findings were no. Like the microcirculation and the skeletal muscle function are messed up in peripheral artery disease. Uh -huh. And we, we kind of knew that, but we, it had never been directly investigated before. So that's why our group sought to do that. And then leveraging this information we know about the, the artery system and the micro blood vessels, I had an idea of being able to target the function of the circulation with dietary nitrate. 
So dietary nitrate occurs in large concentrations in several vegetables, but in very high concentrations in beets. So we used a beetroot juice supplement and looked at the effects of this supplement on the arterial function, so the big blood vessels, the microvascular function or the small blood vessels, uh, the arterial stiffness levels, walking ability, time to pain for these patients, to ultimately see if this could be an inexpensive yet accessible therapy to help support vascular function and walking and peripheral artery disease. So it was definitely a very comprehensive few projects and very clinically relevant, which is super exciting because why would we do research if we can't translate it? But something that's very near and dear to my heart is looking at remedies that are inexpensive. How can we make this accessible? Peripheral artery disease disproportionately affects populations who are of lower socioeconomic status. How can we help them? What's accessible? How many side effects go hand in hand with that? Because there's a lot of side effects that go with a lot of therapies. But to our knowledge, the the dosing regimen that we used in the studies that I had performed um, with our group, there were no known side effects. So when you think in an adherence standpoint, People tend to adhere to therapies if there's fewer side effects, which I think is extremely important. Absolutely. And I love the fact that it's not pharmacological. I just love the fact that it's naturally occurring, like you said, readily accessible. I happen to love beads, so I think I'm in good shape. (laughs) Good deal. (laughs) Good to know. Um, But that is absolutely fascinating. And... A question. So with that sort of, uh, in addition to peripheral artery disease, I mean, this, this sort of go hand in hand. Overall, would that not also then uh, transfer as, as a, a good therapy for just atherosclerosis? I mean, overall, it would have the same thing. That's a great question, too. Yeah. So the, the mechanism of action in the dietary nitrate, it's not going to be, you know, if you're giving it to a patient with peripheral artery disease, it's not just going to go to their legs. Like, it's not just going to affect their legs. It's systemic. It's going to affect the whole body. Dietary nitrate in the form of beet juice has been used in hypertension, uh, dyslipidemia, so higher cholesterol, um, and several other diseases, healthy aging, So it's all around, like, I'm not going to completely recommend it for everybody under the sun, but it it seems to be a very beneficial supplement to take. Whether you're eating beets, which is fine, or if you're taking a, like, drinking a beet juice or a powder or putting something like that in your smoothie, like, it, it, from what the literature is showing us, it can do more good than it could do harm. And and as you just said, excuse me. For the healthy aging, you know, there's a presumption. It drives me crazy. Um, Michael and I train side by side. He's 25 to my 60. I'll be 61 this year. There's a 35-year gap. And I essentially train the same way I did 30 years ago. So I would say that 95% of what we do is identical. So I'm living proof that if you just stick with exercises as a modality and a healthy lifestyle and all that stuff, it works. Because believe me, I've got my own genetic problems on my father's side, my mother's side, everybody does. We're all a mixed bag, DNA-wise. Um, but I love the idea of blowing a hole through this. <clears throat> Excuse me, I haven't 
a kind of a European, um, I feel like an expat. My mother was from Germany, so I sort of a little bit feel sensibility-wise like an expat living in America. You don't have to decay at a certain place in a certain decade of your life, which seems to be the American MO. You know, like I'm 40, so, you know, I have a dad bother or whatever. You know, like obesity has to right. happen, decline has to happen, decay has And yeah, I mean, eventually I'm going to waltz into a pit and I'll put a stone in my head. But <laughs> the ride doesn't have to be so <laughs> You know what I mean? You can stay vibrant. Right. Right. So I would love to, preventative stuff like this, which is so easy. How hard is it for, for you, like you just said, to put some of these nitrates from beets into a smoothie. So for those of, those of the population that really are not just interested in doing a turnaround lifestyle-wise, but those that are really interested in healthy aging, um, I love the application of this as well, too, because the thing that most excites me about what I do is trying to reach people who are not ill to begin with, but I see all the indicators there. So, like, my evals tend to go on a bit longer than most because I, I might be here to talk about the shoulder you just had scoped, but I'm going to touch on your weight. I'm going to touch on your smoking. I'm going to touch on a lot of things, you know, that I could technically breeze past and I'm not going to because I'm trying to like plant a seed, you know, um, it doesn't have to be, it's like, that's what I'm saying. Right. And it's, it's a matter of slowing that decline. Like we all know aging is going to happen. It's, one of those what we call non-modifiable risk factors because yeah. if we could modify it we'd fix a lot we'd fix so much stuff that's going on if we could just you know stop you from aging what what is that peter pan yeah, the exactly. the neverland yeah we could all just go there and hang out and have a good time but we, we can't do yeah. it yeah it's it's finding these these methods that can slow this progression exactly. of of the the negative effects of aging prevention of disease because preventing disease is better than you know treating it yes because it's it's a right. it's a it can be a vicious cycle once something starts to go wrong it just continues to snowball and we want to prevent that and that's how people you know, right proactive yes. yes and you know yeah since I'm in it you know I mean. I'm at the start of my old age, and I'm very free about that, especially with my patient base, who are often younger than me, you know. Um, I completely agree with what you just said, and the thing of it is, is I call it a duck and dodge. You know, my body does this now, so I'm going to do this to compensate for it, whether it's nutritionally or tweaking an exercise that I need to do slightly differently now. You know, like I accept the realities of my physiology as it is now, but if you're proactive and you're really attentive to living inside of this meat suit, I'm finding that everything that everybody told me when I was in my twenties, in my thirties, in my forties, in my fifties, isn't so. And I'm not living a magic life. I'm literally just being very attentive. And by the way, we have a lot of fun. For, for anybody who's thinking I'm, I'm living on kale and angels, wishes, and water, no. <laughs> You know, couple beats in there, no big right. deal, you know. Um, <laughs> no, Michael and I scared the bejesus out of many restaurant owners because <laughs> we go in there basically <laughs> custom-made the kitchen and then have three desserts and leave. It's just you give it back. You know what I mean? Right, right. But trust me, oh, do we eat? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and it's just being conscious of that, and you know, yeah. hey, yeah, I'm having this meal. But you know what? Tomorrow, it's it's not going to snowball and be the same, you know, three desserts every day. Sometimes. Right. 
<laughs> sometimes that happens. Like, so it's inevitable, but. <laughs> <laughs> no one here but us complete, you know, adherence to all fitness things that all the time, people. Two, right, yeah. two, two days in a row. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, no big deal. It's fine. No, it really is. No, but it, it but, back, yeah. though. You know the thing that, that yeah. I, I like to say that we're addicted to? <clears throat> Feeling good. I'm just not done having fun. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to look at a flight of stairs like, oh, my God. You know, I'm getting on a plane, taking right. a little break in Mexico. I, I want to climb. I want to do, you know. Um, so I try and intensify that as well. Like, you know, who's, who's done having fun? You know, if you, if you just yeah. take better care, the fun doesn't stop. It doesn't. It and that's shouldn't. an interesting, yeah, that's an interesting application for healthy aging. Yeah. If you think, how can I, how can I keep having fun? Well, I need my body to work. I need it to work to a certain extent. How can I continue to work at this capacity? Oh, I should be practicing a higher amount of work. Wow, that sounds like exercise. It sounds like exercise is a big factor in that. If you want to have fun, you know, keep your body conditioned, keep your body strong, feed it well. The fun doesn't that's stop. That's it. Yeah. And I, right. You know, that's, it's sort of like a separate topic. But yeah, for, for, for the aging population, and that includes anybody from, in my opinion, 60 on, um, I, I, that's another symposium. <laughs> Right. And just like, this is what we do, and this is how you apply it to that. But yes, I, I do think fun, the, the concept of interjecting fun into people, people's uh, consciousness who don't particularly like physical activity and have shied away from it perhaps for decades, is that it's the straight shot conduit to a good time. Literally. Tunnel yeah. vision, right. You know, you do this, and there's the good times, kiddo. Yeah. It's challenging for that person who has sat out for so long. And then you come up with these big terms about exercise. You, they're in the environment, right? They're, they come to the gym, essentially, whatever the clinic may be. And then you throw out these big terms and big fancy exercises. There's a little bit of fear in them, that apprehension to begin and to continue. Right. Uh, and they're already stepping out of their comfort zone by coming yeah. into the gym in the first place. Let them take that step and don't push them any further. They'll take another step when they're ready. It'll make them hungry for more once they are able to keep taking these small steps. I was telling, They'll ask. I yeah. tell people who are complete newbies, <clears throat> look around you. There's something here that you would like to do. I don't care if it's walking on a bike, guided through like how machines work. There's something here that, that has to intrigue you because what is a gym but an adult Playground. We all can win there. You know what I mean? I'm gonna start that. I, I know I sound like a green dog, right. but I mean, I, to me, it's like my playground. I never think about what Right. Why would the resistance bands be fun colors? Yeah, you know? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> They'd all be just one you color. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe, I, I think if we interject <laughs> that whole concept of this doesn't have to feel like, you know, hard labor in a prison. <laughs> it's supposed to be fun. <laughs> I like doing things I don't like doing, you know? I mean, like, there's a way to make it fun every time I want to do it, you know? I mean, now maybe if this adult playground serves some wine, it could be more interesting, but... <laughs> right, wine and cheese well, nights at the gym. Yeah. Let's go, yeah. <laughs> the anti-aging cocktail, <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. So you are a power lifter. I am a power lifter, yes. 
and I've got a meet coming up. And we're about five weeks out right mm-hmm. now, so I'm pretty oh excited for that. You're in the thick of it. Right, yeah. And it's, it's, you know, I, when I came out of high school and into my undergrad, I, I had been teaching and training martial arts for many right. years. And when I moved away, I didn't have that anymore. And I was like, okay, now what do I do? I'm really bad at other sports. So I started running and I was bad at that too. Oh, me too. So then, yeah. And, you know, I did a a couple 10Ks, got up to a 15 and I went, this isn't great. Like it's like, there were moments where you're like, okay, this is fun. It's just what I do. And then I, I picked up a barbell and I went, huh, all right, that's, that's cool. That's nice. And then I got bit by the iron bug and started lifting a little bit more seriously, I would say 2015-ish time mm-hmm. frame. And I was bad at it then too. And I'm still very bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's ever perfect. <laughs> but it, it just continued to progress. And I, I just have so much fun. It keeps me sane. Um, my fiance is a personal trainer. He power lifts too. And it's, it's fun. And, you know, it's just that matter of progressing. Maybe you don't, your lifts don't go up. It's okay. You're still having a good time. The co- the community is insane. It's amazing. You They're there supporting yeah. you. Yeah, they're lifting too. Yeah. They want to do well, but they're yelling louder for you than they are for themselves. That is amazing. And, you know, and that's the community. You know, again, you said the F word, fun, which is so, so much a part of it. And <laughs> I was telling me and anybody around me, I bring 100% of what I have that day. And there are days that... You know, I go in there and I'm tired and exhausted. I haven't, you know, eaten properly. For some reason, this thing just works brilliantly and it does everything I want it to do. Or conversely, I'm well-fed, well-rested, well-hydrated. I go in and I'm garbage. You know, I can't do anything. Right. It's not responding. But I always say, if I'm giving 100%, it's, it's, it's a good day. I've done everything I set out to do. Um, and it is fun. It is fun. And it, it also, I think, is right. the greatest single stress reliever that I have ever tapped into. Because if you're doing that, honestly, especially at your level, which is way above mine, you don't have any choice but to be present. You know what I mean? You can't think of work, bills, husbands, wives, whatever. You have to be there doing that. And that's like the best escape for 45 minutes or an hour. Because when you come back to all of that, I feel personally much more organized and level. And I'm like, okay, where were we? What do we got to do? Then if I wasn't doing this, this to me is, and I'm a communicative person, obviously I'm a man of words, but there, there's a certain point where you just want to shut up and do something really hard physically and get your, out. <laughs> oh, for yeah. sure. For yeah, sure. You know, and I find, I think that's, that's part of the community of like-minded people who get that too. Mm-hmm. You know, this is where you come from right. all that excess stress. And it's all part of who we are. Yes. Like yeah. it's it's like eating, you know, breakfast or having coffee for another person. It's just what we do. It's part of our day. It's like showering, but we actually like to do it, you know. I love the whole gym environment, right? I mean a little more bias in terms of strength and conditioning, but I love it all. I genuinely do. And I think that's, it adds to, it adds to what I bring it. Yeah. feedback because uh, my son will lose his mind. <laughs> 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 There's a speed bag in a basement 
And database and everything echoes beyond that. So the speed bag is placed right where the turf is, right where the benches are. So in either direction, you are getting a constant banging in your head from people who are not athletic by no means. They just think punch the speed bag will help them lose weight, which, okay, you're moving. Maybe that's the secret. Yeah. Sort of calories, but there's better ways to do this. Like, come on, people. It's, you just from audio perspective, <laughs> it literally is like, you know, the old joke, that the best part about hitting yourself in the head with a hammer is when you stop because it feels so good. <laughs> so, yes, we're stopping for a, a, a new gym this week. Gotcha. Gotcha. So gotcha. Yeah. In that. Meltdowns, and in this case, it was Michael. I was like, there, 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 there. <laughs> Then when you go to bed at night, you're trying to go to sleep, and then all of a sudden your brain's like, hey, do you remember what happened at the gym today? And then it's just... So now you're going to have a bad night's sleep tonight because of me. It's my fault. This is the most unfortunate part. There's no rhythm at all. They're just wailing right now. Rhythm. I like rhythm. Asher, I'm sure, likes rhythm. Yeah. I prefer that since your brain can tune out rhythm. But nonsense noise, forget about it. So Liz. Right. Oh, man. What would you, yeah. if, what would you like to, to really talk about that we perhaps haven't touched on? Because I want to make sure that you really have your voice heard. And if we got it all awesome, but a, we didn't, let's go there. That's, that's a great question. And I just want, and I kind of iterated this a little bit when we started talking, and it's follow your passion. <laughs> it's so cheesy. And it, it, it doesn't matter what anyone else tells you. No. Doesn't matter. You do what you want to do and you take the steps necessary. And if you don't know what steps to take, start talking to people. Mm. That's how Michael and I started talking. Yeah. I saw he was working on a research project and I was like, oh, you use NEARS? Weird. I use NEARS. <laughs> and then we had, a, we had a short phone call and it was, it was great. And it's, you're not going to meet these people unless you're reaching out and you're putting yourself out there. And it, the whole putting yourself out there thing, when I was trying to figure out my path and my next steps that I was taking into my soon to be career, mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't have known how to do it, what to do, what my profession would be doing unless I talked to people who were doing mm-hmm. it. So reaching out to these people who were doing something that you could only dream of doing. And most of the time, they will respond to you. You will talk with them and you'll have a wonderful relationship with these people. You wouldn't have thought about, you know, prior to initiating Mm. that. People, they want to help you. And it's incredible. The support you can receive from complete strangers. It's exactly what you're told not to do as a kid. Don't talk to strangers. Don't give them your phone number. Don't give them your name. Well, shoot, I've given so many strangers my name and my phone number, and now we talk all the time, and they're not strangers anymore, so it's okay. Yeah. But it's it's that professional network, and you can never start soon enough. Mm. So if there's any undergraduate students here listening, take this and run with it. Start talking to a couple people a month in something that you're interested in, whether or not you think you're going to pursue that profession, just talk with them. You're going to learn something. Is it going to be something great and groundbreaking? I don't know, but you're going to learn something, whether it's what to do or what not to do, both of which are so important. Um, And just putting yourself out there. Start that network. I think that ties this up in a bow as nicely and neatly as anybody could hope. That, That was just incredibly well said. 
it's definitely something I'm extremely passionate about because I would not be where I am today, even on this podcast, I wouldn't be here if I wasn't putting myself out there. Think about the relationships you can build and the connections you can make. And I've been looking forward to this conversation all week because Michael talked to me, what was it, January? And he said, hey, you know, uh, Asher and I are doing this podcast. It's, you know, it's awesome. And I'm like, sweet, I'm going to check this thing out. And I said, when when are we doing this? And Michael goes, April. And I go, all (laughs) All right, right. sounds good. I'll see you then. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just incredible what you guys have been doing. Yeah. No, I think Asher's longest running joke is that I could be a, what, what do you call it? A, I, what, 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 he probably calls you a lot of yeah, things. I yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, I always say to Michael that, that if you ever decide not to be an exercise physiologist, you could be a booking agent like that. I yeah. mean, Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, network, you know, he'll go to a conference and I'm, I'm doing my thing here in New York. And he'll come back and he's like, I have this, I have this, I have this, I have this person, I have this person. I'm like, all righty. I need the He's got an innate capacity to network. Um, and it is outstanding. And the reach that you guys have with this podcast and everything and these guests, outstanding. Right, Thanks, that's a plus to hear. Yeah. Thanks, we've, we've got some really. Um, I, I consider myself such a uh, like a hybrid, you know, uh, because of my background. We just were in New Orleans and we ran into a medical doctor who's gone entrepreneurial in another direction as well, but also is heavily giving back to her, the Creole community there. I mean, it was just like the most amazing. Comp- like you just said, you reach out to people. The most amazing. She's coming on the podcast as well. Um, you know, be, I, I just gave my, a, a speech at my, at my alma mater last May. I'm probably going to do one this, this May as well. And I tell everybody, if you want to, if you want to have a very conventional career, there is nothing wrong with that because without that, there would be systemic collapse of the whole healthcare system. With that said, for those of you like me, who've always been a square peg in a round hole, just embrace that. I, I, I used to travel when I was younger to be the round peg and the round hole and everything. So it's not going to work. You have to be who you are. <laughs> and for those of us who are, you know, plaid in a world of polka dots, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. There's, there's a need for that as well. You know, and if you look at the three of us, we're unconventional. But look at what we're accomplishing to fit a need, you know. My ego's out of this. Your egos are out of this. This is really about, okay, this is what we do. This is how our brains and minds work. This is what we're good at. This is what we've accomplished academically. Let's go. You know, and and no, nobody ever told me that. So I think it's cool that, that the three of us collectively are telling people that. You can be a bunch of different things. Absolutely. And it, we're, we're coming back. We're helping people. And we're going to have a symposium. Yes sometime like that that's gonna be that's gonna be epic. That is, that is yeah thank thank you michael thank you asher this was wonderful